You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Welcome in, Hokies fans, to this edition of the Tech Sideline Podcast. We record on Wednesday, September 29th, entering a bye week for Virginia Tech football. With no game to preview on episode 195, we are going to look back at the first four games of Virginia Tech's season, see what went well, what went wrong, and what the Hokies can work on down the final two-thirds of their year. And then in the second half of the show, we're going to get our first look at the 2021 version of the men's basketball team as they started practice earlier this week. All that and much more on episode 195 of the Tech Sideline Podcast, which starts right now. We welcome you in, whether you're listening on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Amazon Music, SoundCloud, or Stitcher, or if you are watching archived on YouTube, we want to remind you, if you are on YouTube, like, comment, and subscribe. If you are watching live on YouTube, be sure to drop a comment or question in the chat below. That can be about football or basketball, and we'll have Will and Chris answer those at the end of the show. As always, the Tech Sideline Podcast brought to you by the Southeast Regional Training Center. You can help bring Olympic hopeful athletes to Blacksburg and one of the best and fastest growing wrestling programs in the country. Go to southeastrtc.com to learn more and donate today. I'm your host, Jake Lyman. As always, the regular crew on set, Will Stewart, founder and general manager of Tech Sideline across the way. To my left, the lead analyst and columnist for techsideline.com, Chris Coleman, and behind the scenes, the best podcast producer in the land, Malcolm Stewart. And in our fourth chair today, once again, we have Katie Adams to add some commentary in the middle of the show, as well as look up some stats throughout the show, and then she'll answer your YouTube questions at the end of our show. Before we get into it, if you are watching live on YouTube, you can tell that we have a little new addition to the show. You may be able to tell if you're listening as well with the new mics on set. Right. So I'm super geek. This is something I've been wanting to do for a long time. We've got uh, new microphones and I've I've, I've talked about this in previous uh, podcasts. These are uh, Electro Voice microphones, RE20s, which are like the standard for podcasters. And like if, if you go into a radio situation like i'm on rick uh, rick watson's radio show every friday and these are the mics that they've got in there and uh we've got just some really cool uh, I'm, I'm sorry if you're not geeked about this but i am <laughs> got some really cool boom arms and shock mounts and it just feels real big time now so uh um hopefully so goal number one is to make it sound better um you know our old mics were okay but like in the last couple of podcasts, there were a couple of moments where I just kind of cringed because like we'd bust out laughing at something and it would go. Wank. And then I remember when when Katie was doing the uh, Dax Hollyfield interception stat, I went like that and that did not sound good either. So hopefully we'll see how these come out. But the whole idea behind them is that they uh, they have less of what's called a proximity effect, you know, so. If my voice sounds richer and deeper, it's because I have a cold. It's not because the mic's a lot better. So, 
Uh, anyway, enough about that. But uh, I just uh, I just think they look awesome. And if you're watching the video, uh, these boom arms are really cool because they're low profile boom arms, and they are made to get everything out of your face, so you can see the people that are talking. And, and I'm like I said, I'm just really jazzed. So next steps are, and we've got Malcolm working on this. Uh, you know, we've got three uh, cameras, and then we've got a webcam over there on the fourth chair. We're trying to get a new video switcher in and get it set up so that that we can have four or five, six cameras, however many we want. And uh, it has been a challenge so far. We're, uh, I'll just put it that way. We've had a couple of video switchers in and out, and it's not working. And we think we're figuring out why. So uh, I'm going to be real excited about that when we get that done too. So. Slowly but surely making the upgrades. Hopefully we don't pull the boom arms off the table this time and uh, get to keep them on there. No, Malcolm has done these, <laughs> and they're a lot safer than when I did them. I am famous in my family for just not being real good with mechanical stuff. Well, we are enjoying the new mics. Hopefully it sounds better on the, the podcast online as well as on the YouTube. Uh, and we thank you for joining us here, episode 195 of the Tech Sideline podcast. It is a bye week for Virginia Tech football, so we're looking at – what can we talk about this week is there's no game to preview this weekend. And I was scrolling through the last episode's YouTube comments and James, there was no last name, but James in the YouTube comments was asking about how we kind of talked about this season being split into thirds. You've got the first four games before the bye and then those three games in a row at home before the final five games, four of which are on the road. And he wanted to know kind of how you guys grade the performance of the team so far. So I think for the first half of the show, we're going to kind of do a little report card here for Virginia text first four games of the football season we're going to go through a couple of positions then we'll see how you guys overall grade the first four games and see where the Hokies need to go in the final two-thirds of the season so I think good place to start always is the quarterback position and before we get into that Braxton Burmeister was actually talking to the media today and he had a pretty good quote talking about kind of the criticism of the offense and he said he loves coach Cornelson and when things go wrong it's usually the OC or the quarterback who gets blamed which you would think is true you're not going to blame a wide receiver for the offense going wrong. Uh, and he also said he thinks they're really close to breaking this thing open and it's going to be very special when they actually do so. I kind of want to get your thoughts on that. Do you think that this offense is close to breaking through and maybe getting something done in the middle part of the season? I think they're closer in the passing game. Uh, it's hard to say with the running game because we don't know when Jansy's going to come back or exactly what the offensive line will look like when he does come back. Or Are they going to leave Tanuta at right tackle? Because if they do, where does Jansy play? Right? I mean, yeah. he's, he was Tech's best lineman through the first – two games and one quarter of the West Virginia game. So, like, to me, he has to be out there every play. Yeah. Um, so I don't know how they're going to handle that. I do think they have been closer in the passing game the last couple of weeks. Um, and I, I didn't see any signs against Richmond that they were closer in the running game. So I, I think they're, they're closer to being competent in the passing game than they are the running game. That's my take. Um, you know, I had a thought and then I totally lost it. So let's, <laughs> let's move on. Well, let's start with the quarterback, Braxton Burmeister. He looked good at some points, especially early on against North Carolina, but there's also been some inconsistencies there, not making a lot of mistakes, but overall, how would you rate the performance of Burmeister behind center this season? Uh, well, man, I think when you, he is Virginia Tech's second highest grading offensive player so far this year. 
He's a 73.5. Tavion Robinson's a 73.6. So it's really, really close. I think he's the most important player for the offense. Uh, he's he's been very good in the in the running game when he scrambled. Yep. I mean, he is that's a dynamic dude when he gets in the open field. The passing game has been very inconsistent. His arm itself is inconsistent. His accuracy. Uh, he almost throws the ball through the ups, uprights on one play against to Trey Turner, and then the next play it's like a perfect dart. So, I mean, it can vary from one play to the next for him. Um, I would probably give him a straight-up C uh, because he hasn't been consistent in the passing game, but his running his his running ability has been very important for the offense. Um, you know, there's just not many quarterbacks in this country that can can convert a third and 24 with their legs. You're not going to see that very often. <laughs> yeah. That's pretty cool. That'll be on a highlight reel for a while, that yeah. move he got past the, the West Virginia defense. Yeah, yeah. They, they somebody like needs to cut out the little slice where that guy from WVU comes <laughs> running in and just completely drops it all right there on the field while Braxton runs by him. Um, I think that, you know, Justin Fuente for Burmeister, he said a couple of things. He talked about, he called him a freak athlete. Mm -hmm. Said he was cut, could jump out of the gym fast as lightning. He's right about all those things. Yeah, he is correct about all those things. And he he also said, "I feel better about the passing game than than I've felt uh, since I've been here in my time at Tech." Mm -hmm. So that that's a double edged sword for a coach to talk like that. Um, I noticed it, and we talked about it some during the preseason, where he was being more complimentary of his individual players which is something that I think Fuente needed to learn to do. Go ahead and hype players up. It kind of you got to figure it'll help keep them out of the portal and, you know, make them feel good about stuff. And unless it turns out to not be right and then everybody's mad. And so that's the other <laughs> side of the sword. You know, you say those things and then stuff happens during the season and yes, he is a gifted athlete. He's a good runner. And I, th I think when he runs the true read option, he's just phenomenal at executing that play. We haven't seen a whole lot of that. Um, but the passing game really hasn't looked all that great. So that kind of stuff comes back to bite you as a coach. And that's when you start asking yourself, well, is this guy hurt? You know, that's kind of something we've talked about. Do you remember many times. when Michael Holmes was the next Lee Suggs? Uh, who, who said that? Billy Height. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so. So it's just, you know, what are you going to do? Unless they go out there and they absolutely tear it up, you know, in which case you look like a genius as a coach and everybody's happy and all that stuff. So just wanted to kind of talk about that a little bit. I'm in favor of saying that kind of stuff about your players, but it does make you look bad if, if they wind up with like the number 100 offense in the country after four games, that kind of thing. <laughs> Well, we've talked about Braxton Burmeister. I guess could we dub it windmill watch with his right yeah, arm, yeah, whether right. he's actually injured or whether that's something he just does he, he, naturally. Or? He, he did say he admitted in the press conference today that he has been banged up. Okay, um, okay. He said so that, he did. Say he it. said the hit against Middle Tennessee really took a lot out of him, and he said the Richmond game was where he felt the least healthy of any point this season. The least healthy, yes, uh, going into it, I guess. Uh, so. Yeah. Yeah, he said he didn't think he was he didn't feel good going in the game is basically huh. what he said uh, physically. Which I mean, he that's matches up with what I've seen. I just right. don't think the guy's healthy um, as far as you know his upper body. Uh, so good time for a bye week from that standpoint. Yeah, as long as it's something that will work itself out in a couple of weeks. Yes, right. And you talked about the inconsistency. You mentioned the two throws against Richmond back to back, and you can look at West Virginia too with that. He throws. Uh, 
perfect pass to Tavion Robinson for one touchdown, yeah. but then misses a wide open Tavion Robinson yeah, right. two other times later in the half. So yeah. I think that's going to be something to look for with Burmeister. Is he healthy and can he make those throws consistently? I don't think I've ever heard Fuente so frustrated before. Uh, if you listen to him talk and read some of his quotes, he, he said it two or three times now and multiple weeks in a row where he talks about Burmeister and he says, I know there's more there in the passing game and we've got to get it out of him. Um, I know he's capable of more. Now, to me, I, I don't. I don't think you you get more out of him by taking him out of the game on the five yard line. That's that's the opposite of what you need to do, in my opinion. Well, but, it's it's kind of easy to take shots. I, I I hear you say that, and I think to myself, good leaders get the people under them operating at peak efficiency. Right. It's not necessarily all on Braxton. It's uh, right. You know, and we're not there at practice. We don't know what the feedback is. You know, so. And, I, and I, Fuente's no dummy. I think he also understands that he has a role in this. Yeah, so I, I just I don't think I've ever heard him so frustrated. Like yeah. it, when he talks about the passing game, quarterback play, the the overall offensive struggles, I, I've never heard him sound like not I don't want to say desperate, but but disappointed and just struggling to wrap his head around why it hasn't worked like he thought it was going to work. Yeah, he wasn't making that stuff up that we were just talking about a no. couple of minutes ago. He no. really felt that he yeah. felt that way in the preseason. And I don't think he would have said it if he didn't. And I think right. part of it also has to do with the wide receivers. That's been a big topic on this podcast mm-hmm. over the past few weeks. It feels like we're talking about them almost every week. It seems like they haven't really helped out Braxton Burmeister with getting separation, but there's also been some flashes maybe in the last couple of weeks from Tavion Robinson. I mean, you got to give him a chance. You know, you right. do have to throw it to him when, when guys are on him and give him a chance to make a play. Are we going to grade them now? Yeah, go ahead. <laughs> okay, all right. Let's get a grade um, on the wide receivers. I am, uh, I'm going to throw you for a loop based on some of the stuff I've written, but I'm actually going to go B-. minus. Wow. Um, and that's for a couple reasons. I do think they've shown – improvements over the last two games because there has been more of a focus on getting the ball as there has to be with no right. James Mitchell. Um, you know, Tavion had a good game against West Virginia. Caleb Smith had a good game against West Virginia. And then last week it was Trey and Tavion who had good games against Richmond. And overall they've been a more productive group over the last two weeks. So their production is rising. And, and the other thing, man, and I say this as a former wide receiver and a former cornerback, you can't just grade wide receivers on catching the football. You grade them in run blocking, too. I mean, Virginia Tech runs the ball a lot, so they need their wide receivers to be good blockers. And let's look at the at the run blocking grades of, Tavia, of the wide receivers. Tavion Robinson, 80.9. Awesome grade. Yet only the third best grade out of all the wide receivers. Uh, Caleb Smith, 87.8, which wow. is borderline elite. Even Dwayne Lofton in his 16 snaps, 82.7. Um Trey is a 67.1, which is solid, decent, above average, about what you should expect from somebody his frame, I would say. So I think they're really, really blocking well on the outside for Virginia Tech. And that's part of the game, man. That, that That's part of the game. That's like uh, you, you, you can't throw a running back on the field who fumbles a lot. Well, you can't throw a wide receiver on the field if you're a run-based offense that doesn't block. So I'm 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 giving them a boost based on where I was a couple weeks ago, uh, based on their blocking grades and the fact that you know I, I think they've come around more the last couple weeks. So so to drill down into that a little bit further, since, since you brought that up, so Malcolm put the put the camera on me, and so this is this is a sheet of PFF grades, and this is a list of players, 
and they each get graded uh, on offense in four different categories. The passing game, pass blocking, the running game, and run blocking. So you have 27 players listed here that have played various number of snaps, and they're getting graded on four different things. So four times 27 is 108. There are 108. Now, a lot of these are blank because guys didn't, they haven't played a lot of snaps. But you have basically 108 grades being handed out here, and scanning it, two of the three, three of the four highest grades in all this mess are wide receivers run block you have color shades anywhere from dark red to dark green or blue even you know and with dark red being the worst and and your green and your greens and and blues being being the best so you've got four shades of dark green or blue or whatever and three of those four are run blocking by wide receivers with the other being Carrie, uh, Carrie Blackshear. Almost, <laughs> I knew I was going to do that at some point. Raheem Blackshear in the passing game. Yeah, so Raheem, it's interesting. Raheem Blackshear has 47 snaps ca- classified as being in the passing game. He's got a grade of 86, mm-hmm. so that's got to be on his – that doesn't include his pass blocking. No. That's a separate category. Just yeah. in the receiving game for yeah, Raheem so, Blackshear. So he's clearly had a huge effect, but we're not talking about him right now. We're talking about wide receivers. Well, looking at Caleb Smith, uh, our last podcast he was uh, – I don't even know how to describe it. There was somebody <laughs> said that it was all Caleb Smith's fault last week. We're going to give him his props here. Out of all grades in all four categories, offensively and defensively for the Hokies, the highest grade is Caleb Smith's run blocking. 87 point. 87 That's point. just about as good as it gets in, in PFF. Yeah. So like we talked about, I'm not sure that he's a, he's a go up and win one-on-one battles kind of playmaker, but he's a good possession receiver. He's a guy who can run the slants, and he's very good blocking in the running game. And so, you know, that that's cool, figuring out what your wide receivers all do and putting mm-hmm. them in a position to succeed and play into their strengths. Well, we started to look at Raheem Blackshear, and that'll take us into the running backs here. Chris, you mentioned the running game hasn't quite lived up to expectations so far this season. We mentioned Blackshear's been great in the passing game, but it, it just seems like none of that trio of Blackshear, Holston, and King have been able to get it going on the ground consistently. Yeah, Um I guess because Blackshear has been so good in the passing game, and heck, even Holston made that play in the passing yes. game against West Virginia. You know, I guess I'll give those guys a C plus. I think they need to break more tackles um, in the in the running game and things like that. But like breaking tackles isn't really Blackshear's game. I think he has to be able to have, get the ball in space where yep. he can make guys miss and yep. use his athleticism. Uh, you know, he's just not a guy who's going to physically, you know, run through a bunch of tackles and things like that. He's a good player in the right situation and they've done a better, uh, better job this year of getting him in the right situation. And, and one thing Burmeister does better than all of the previous quarterbacks is he will dump the ball down to his running back. He, he understands check, checking down to his running back. And when it's third and 17 against North Carolina, you check it down to your running back. And generally that's not going to work, but sometimes a guy like Blackshear, can make that guy miss, and you pick up the first. Was was the Holston touchdown against West Virginia? Was that a check down? It was. Oh yeah, yeah. absolutely. Yeah, yeah, and I, uh, that might have even that might have been another third down play. I think it was third and long, and West Virginia kind of backed everybody yep. up to the goal line, yep. and then yep. just jump it off. Holston did the rest. So, yep. I think that's been when they've been most effective. But looking at this group, and obviously you lose Christian Darrisaw up front, a first round pick. It's never going to help, but. It's clear how important Khalil Herbert was and how good he was last year when you see how things have changed since he left. Yeah, I think the Bears should play him. He can't possibly (laughs) be any worse, right? Um, 
I think I saw on Sunday the Bears against um, – I'm blanking on uh, against the Browns. Uh, right. Uh, their total yardage was less than the 66-yard field goal that Justin Tucker hit to win the game. Right. So, and I'm pretty sure they uh, allowed more sacks than they completed <laughs> passes. So was that? I saw something probably on Twitter where they averaged 1.1 yards per play. It was, yes. it was it, it that team and that game? Yeah, so the Bears against the Browns, they were sacked nine times. Miles Garrett had four and a half of those. Yeah. Uh, I want to say Justin Fields in his first start went five for twenty-one with fifty-something yards. So, what are highly ranked quarterbacks going to stop going to Ohio State if they want to go be successful NFL quarterbacks? <laughs> um, honestly, we have years and years of evidence now that they don't succeed in the NFL, and I don't know why that is. But I mean, it's true that you got Dwayne Haskins was a first-round pick out of Ohio State three years ago, and now he's a backup on a different team. So, yeah. Anyway, a little bit of a tangent there. Anyway, yeah, a little, little bit. <laughs> Uh, flying off out in the weeds there, but uh, I would personally, I would have a two-man rotation at running back. I wouldn't play Kashawn King. Okay, I just—he's smaller than he was when he enrolled. He's so he's just not strong enough. Yeah. Uh, I don't think he has good vision. I just think you're more likely to have success running the football if you just run Holston and Blackshear. That's my. I don't think a 175 pound running back works in the modern game. Yeah, and Virginia Tech does so many things with their offense. You know, the Braxton scrambles a lot. They they throw to the wide receivers. They throw to the tight ends. They run the jet sweep. They run the read option. We hope they run their <laughs> traditional running play. They do so much that the other the other argument to support that is there's just not enough carries to go around. No, no, and and I just I don't think he does anything better than the other two running backs. Like, he's certainly not going to be as strong as Jalen Holston. Yeah. I mean, he'd be more explosive than Holston if he could actually get into the open field, which yeah. he never can because if you get a hand on him, generally he falls down and he doesn't have great vision either. Um, I hope he proves me wrong, but, like, and I know you want to play as many guys as you can to make sure nobody goes to the portal and blah, 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 but I just think they should play two running backs. Um, well, I actually thought the running game was better against West Virginia when they only played two running backs. Both, I mean... I think if you if you put their carries together, Holston and Blackshear in that game, it was something like 81, 81, 21 carries for eighty nine yards or something like that. That's dominant. That's not dominant, but it's solid. Yeah. And it's it's better than what it was this past weekend. So this past weekend, Jalen Holston, his first carry of the game, he gets a sixteen yard gain around the right end. It was in that succession of plays where Virginia Tech picked up a first down on their first Where they just plays. went boom, boom, boom. Yeah, yeah, and you think, oh, my God, we're going to win 45 to nothing. You know, we're rolling. <laughs> uh, he didn't get another carry until the second half. Yeah. I, uh, so I, I just – three's too many, in my opinion. Well, looking at Keyshawn King, it seems like his type of style and size would be good for a third down back guy you can use out of the backfield. But well, you got Raheem Black. He does it better. Yeah, he's better. So sorry. There's just, it not seems like there's just play. a log jam there. <laughs> yeah. That's yeah. uh, big boy football, man. Not everybody can play. And he's also the you know, the lowest grading of all the of all the running backs this year. Now he's only played thirty five plays, but yeah. I just I don't I don't know. I mean I'm not I'm not saying, yeah, woohoo, please bench Kashawn King. I just think you're better with a two-man rotation, and the other two guys are better. So the thought that I lost 10 minutes ago, whenever it was, <laughs> is that uh, – so David Cunningham wrote a what I thought was an excellent article yesterday grading various aspects of the team, like what we're doing right now on the podcast. And thought it was a good article. Whether you agree with his grades or not is another thing. 
And he got roasted because there's a contingent out there that wants him to just hand out Fs for everybody. And so, okay, put that thought aside. In my Monday article, I talked about a conversation I had in the stands with some fans that don't usually sit in my area. And and a couple of guys that I think they were just there for the game. And, and they recognized me from being on the podcast. And we got to talking. And one of them said, uh, so what are you hearing on replacements for Fuente? And I was just like, What? Um, nothing. And so I told that story in my article and I said, nobody's talking about that. And I got roasted by fans saying, oh, we talk about it all the time. And I'm like, no, no, that's not what I mean. I know fans talk about it all the time, but that's not a thing in the athletic department right now. It's the fourth game of the season. And if Justin Fuente goes nine and three with this year's team, you're not having that conversation. If he goes five and seven, you're probably having it. It's just, it's not a thing right now. Um, so there is a contingent that wants us to just pass out Fs. All right. And we have seen, I can think, I think, I can think of two examples right off the top of my head where it looked like a season was going a certain way. The 2006 season, I was looking at it the other day, they lost to uh, Georgia Tech at home. Uh, and then they lost to Boston College, and the players were getting into fights on the side. So that, that yeah. Calvin was Calvin Johnson still there in 2006? Was it that game, yeah, it was that where, game. where they opened up with a long pass? Tw- Twenty-one down. nothing after their first three possessions. Yeah, so it was yeah. that, that one that one wound up being 38-27. Tech lost. Um, then the next week they go to Boston College and they get curb stomped, 22 to three, and players yelling at each other on the sidelines. And was that the Brendan Hill dancing? Brendan Hill was dancing on the field to Sweet Caroline while we were getting smoked. It was like. <laughs> They were like four and two at that point, and it looked like the team was out of control, like it's a damn disaster. And then what do they do? You know, they win a bunch of games the rest of they the won, year. They literally won the rest of their games. Yeah. yeah they, until, they, until the bowl game. They 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 whipped uh, uh, Wake Forest, who I think won the Coastal that yes, year. Yes, they did. They won the Atlantic won the that Atlantic. year. And so, you know, and Frank has many more other examples of how he turned a season around. And so the real reason I'm not passing out Fs and pushing the panic button and raging on the offense and the coaches is that when the final buzzer sounded on 45 to 10, Duke 45, Virginia Tech 10, I actually had a signal in Lane Stadium on my phone because there was nobody left, <laughs> right? <laughs> and I pushed the button on a tweet that said, you don't recover from this one. It's two and a half years later, and he's still the coach. Uh, yeah, they, had, they went on a big running, uh, big one, winning streak. They were you know, one game away from winning the Coastal that season. Right, they, yeah. won, they won six of their next seven, and the I think the only reason they lost that game at Notre Dame was because they didn't have their starting quarterback. Right. Yeah. So I think yes. The only reason they lost at UVA is because they didn't have uh, Caleb Farley. So so I'm, I'm the guy who's seen a lot of that stuff happen and we'll just see where it goes from here. I'm not passing out F's and calling for anybody to be fired. And I went way on a tangent. And the, so. the, listen, <laughs> the last two names that have gotten thrown out is for Virginia Tech's head coach was all right, Tony Elliott was the hot name last December, right. right? Look what happened to his offense. Now, now that right. he doesn't have Heisman trophy winners anymore, it's terrible. Right. It's the worst offense in the ACC. It looks we Virginia Tech looks like a Joe Montana 49ers offense compared <laughs> to the Clemson offense right now. So right. what was the other one? Uh, the other one. Remember before the season started this summer, it was all those 
I don't remember which side it was on, but it was all the rumors, I'm sure, floated by his agent. P.J. Fleck? Yes, that yeah. Whit Babcock was ready to offer P.J. Fleck a $6 million contract to coach Virginia Tech. Who's that coming from? Guess what P.J. Fleck did this past week? I give up. What? He lost to Bowling Green. That was Bowling Green's first FBS win. Scott in two Leffler? Yeah, I think it was like their first FBS yeah. win in two years. Row the boat. Right. Row the, Row boat, the boat. Right over right, the waterfall. Right. right. Seriously, so, Scott Leffler's still the head coach at Bowling Green, right? Yes, he is. Wow. Um, so... Big win. Oh, Things yeah, and, and, and Devin Taylor Devin came up Taylor. with a big interception to ice the game for, for – uh, So that's where he wound up. That's wow. where yes. he wound up. So what I'm saying is here, we heard about Tony Elliott in December, and we heard about PJ, PJ Fleck in, in the in the summer. It doesn't matter if anybody's hearing anything right now, yeah. you know? It's, well, and I think you have, you have these conversations if Virginia Tech lost to Carolina, lost to West Virginia, and maybe – lost one to middle Tennessee or Richmond. If you're one in three at this point, then you're having those conversations. Like, it's okay. part of the expression, Katie, bar the door. <laughs> yes, true. yeah. That's when you go crazy. It, the reaction from these last couple of games doesn't seem, you know, consistent with a team that's three and one and was three yards away from being four and oh. It's, it's, it's uh, pent up over the last, from the last several years. So yeah. you, you have a short leash with the fan base now when they feel like something's going on. Style points right. matter, that kind of thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Anyway, sorry to go on the tangent. <laughs> yeah, where were we? Wide receivers? We, we finished running, finished, backs, oh, so running backs. Oh, we finished backs, okay. Let's jump into the offensive line. That's been The offensive line's been a little bit scrambled. I mean, we saw Brock yeah. Hoffman playing right tackle <laughs> against West Virginia, and then Lasita Smith moves over to left tackle against Richmond. So mm. I'm not sure you can give a real true grade for the group right now because they haven't been healthy, but – it, it's been solid when they have had that whole group together. Yeah, it was better, I think, against Carolina um, when they had the whole group together. That said, I, I a couple of key players this year that were very good players for Tech last year are just not playing well this year. Uh, Hoffman hasn't played well. Tenuta hasn't played well. Tenuta was better when they switched him back to right tackle against Richmond, but still nowhere close to, close to his grades last year. Um, you know, last year he was a 63. Last year he was graded out like an 85, third best player on the offense behind Darisaw and and uh, Herbert. Herbert, yeah. yeah. So Tech legitimately had the best offensive tackle duo in the ACC, and then this year he's a 63.2. Yeah. I mean, Brock Hoffman is is the, Brock Hoffman is the lowest grading player on the offense besides Parker Clements, who's only played 10 snaps. And Brock Hoffman's grade is a 47.6. His run blocking grade is a 41.7. Yeah. I mean. The baseline PFF grade is 60. So you got to be doing a lot of things wrong to get down in this red or, or deep orange color. So to me, it's it's two key guys on the offensive line are just playing nowhere close to their potential. They played much better last year. They're capable of so much better, and I don't know why. And that's as big a problem as anything else. Like it, Sometimes it's hard to like watch an individual lineman and say that guy's playing well or that pl- guy's playing poorly and things like that. Um you you just you look at the guy who touches the ball every time the quarterback right um, but I actually don't think Burmeister is the biggest issue for the offense I think we this would be a much better offense as if if the guys who played well last year were playing well this year and they're not um, I I think you know Lasita Smith has done fine uh, I think Caden Moore has done an excellent job for a true freshman he's slightly he's slightly above average. Yeah, he's graded um, out at a right. 64.8, and it's very consistent between his pass blocking and his run block. Right, it is. And so he's basically – he's about the same level grade Christian Darisaw was, was as a say, true freshman. Yeah. And he's Darisaw. actually 10 points ahead of where Doug Nestor was as, as a true freshman. Yeah. Uh, 
So he's right on schedule. Yeah. And you would have expected the other guys to be better and the overall. Yes. Yeah, yeah exactly. Or right. at least not get worse. Right. It was where they just stay the same. Um, so I'm, I'm very disappointed there. Uh, I'm, 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 I'm happy with, or I'm, ha- I'm fine or happy with three guys. Janzy, who has obviously missed the last couple yeah. games. Uh, Caden Moore, who I'm not saying is perfect, but I think he's playing as well as you could expect a true freshman starter to play. And I, you know, I think Lasita Smith is fine. But the over, so it's hard. It's really difficult for me to give him an overall grade. But quite frankly, I'm disappointed that yeah. the two veterans who have played a thousand snaps in their career, maybe, uh, they're just not getting it done. And I mean, I I, I give them probably a D plus because Woo. of that. Because wow. of, I mean, just based on expectations. So the question becomes, how do you how do you get things headed in the right direction? Uh, that that is the question, and honestly, I just don't think it's an X's and O's thing, or this guy's playing this position and let's move him over here. I mean, some people thought uh, Tanuta he just can't play left tackle and we should switch him back to right. Well, he did start at one ta- one game at left tackle last year against Pitt, and he dominated. Hmm. So he's done it before. Yeah. Yeah. Why can't he do it this year? And I don't like that's not like a magic. Oh, let's just start calling this play, and Luke Tenuta will start playing better. Yeah. No, I mean that's personal accountability. You have to just start playing better. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, I think Vance Vice has some responsibility there, and and I'm kind of a, I'm kind of a simpleton. I'm not a big fan of moving guys around a lot, you know, and and. I think Vance Vice does that, and and it doesn't seem to bother Fuente. You know, Fuente, I think, even said in the press conference this week that he's like, that's that's not it. You know, um, so certainly the offense can get can get better if uh, if Burmeister starts playing better, gets a little healthier, whatever it is, it's bugging him. If you if you really start figuring out what receivers do we hit, you know, when and where, and if you can figure out the O line problems, things will get better. Um, it's not just all about play calling. And, you know, there have been times where, yeah, I'm not, I'm not a fan of the play calling either, but there have been times where I have been. So, Well, looking at Chris's grades throughout the offense, quarterback gets a C, wide receiver B-, minus, running back C+, plus, and the offensive line a D+. Plus. So that averages out to about a C, which yeah. – And, and on, a, on a scale here, like a Kurt Newsome offensive line is an F. Whew. <laughs> so we're, we're, tech is better 0. than that. 0.0. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So I think looking at the offense, it's a C, which I think is fair. Well, we, we didn't do tight ends. We didn't do. We did not do tight ends. Hey, you know, I don't know. How, how do you? Really, I don't know either. That, yeah. that was um, kind of my thought: is that with James Mitchell only in it yeah. for half of the game so far, it's it's tough to grade that group. It really is. Um, you know, the thing is about Mitchell. You know, he was making an impact in the passing game, but he was also so far in his short time on the field was had not shown improvement in blocking that everybody hoped he had. Hmm. But the other two guys have higher blocking grades. Now, he only played one game in about, what, about a quarter of another game, yeah. so that's hard to judge. I mean, I don't know. See. <laughs> right about average? <laughs> they haven't done it. I mean, if you just throw Mitchell out of the equation, I mean, they haven't done anything bad. They haven't done anything great. I thought Julius slowed down a little bit on the deep ball against Richmond, and that could have been completed, but uh, I don't. I don't think they're – costiness and i don't think they're helping yeah. us to just i think that's fair. bang average and i think a c for the offense overall is fair c or it's c minus c or a c minus which there's improvement to be made but it's not the f that some people may be making it out to be uh on the defensive side of the ball it seems like everybody's been pretty pleased with how justin hamilton has done in his first real full year as the defensive coordinator mm-hmm. but i think one of the disappointing groups is has been the pass rush i think mm-hmm. you look at 
two of the guys you expected to make an impact, Amari Barno and Jordan Williams, outside of the UNC game have kind of yeah. fa- fallen by the wayside. I, I didn't. I never really expected Williams to be like a big pass rusher. That's not who he was at Clemson. Now, when he dropped the 290 pounds, maybe I would have expected a little bit more uh, from a pass rushing standpoint. But, yeah, Barno just went out there and dominated UNC on the opening night when he was basically being lined up as a linebacker. And he's played the traditional defensive role, defensive end role the last few weeks, and uh, he just uh, hasn't made an impact. You yeah. don't really notice him out there. Um, so uh, they gotta, he's got to get that figured out. And, and so this, to me, is like that's an issue with this football team is – some of the guys who were Tech's best players last year are not playing like yeah. it this year, and I don't know why that is. It's interesting looking over the PFF grades to see that, you know, Jordan, Jordan Williams is graded out sixth overall on the defense, and he would be higher if his tackling grade wasn't so low. He's got a 46 yeah, tackling the, Well, grade. the thing is, defense, you have to take that with a grain of salt. Defensive tackles don't get to make a lot of tackles, especially in Tech's scheme where they're more occupiers than anything else. So, like – you miss one tackle, and that could really screw up your Yeah, grade. so let's yeah. drill down. Narell Pollard has a 56 tackling. Mm-hmm. Uh, okay. And then the next one I see, Jordan Williams, a 46. Mm-hmm. Um, Josh Fuga, a 56.8. 57. So, yeah. And, and tackles also generally have guys, like, pushing them around and hanging on them and stuff like that when they do get to, get yeah. to grab a um, yeah. get to grab a ball carry. So, I, so. I w- yeah, I wouldn't worry about that one too much. Okay, solid yeah. point. So well, you learn something every day. We, we talked about Barno. He's the 14th-ranked player on the defensive side of the ball by overall PFF grade for Virginia Tech. And I, I think that's something, like Chris is saying, you mentioned Luke Tenuta hasn't kind of lived up to the billing on, on the offensive side of the ball. It seems like Amari Barno has yes. just not made the impact. So so the def- so of Tech's well, – what, what do they have? Five defensive ends who are in the rotation right now. Uh yeah, I don't. Cole Nelson's only played 24 snaps, but he has been in the rotation now the last three games. Like they have put him in the game some when it's not been garbage time, so I'll throw him in there. Uh, all right, so Taiwan Garbett's the number one grader in defensive end. Uh, Cole Nelson's number two, actually very small sample size with him. Eli Eli Adams Eli, is Eli Adams is the third highest defensive end grader, and Amari Bonner is the fourth. Yep. Highest defensive defensive end grader, and Jalen Griffin is right there. He's not he, Jalen Griffin's only like two points behind Barna. Now here's the thing: all of Tech's defensive ends have been slightly above average in the case of Jalen Griffin to good with with, with Taiwan Garbutt. So like overall, that's been a productive group for Tech. They're 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 doing a nice job, but. You thought Barno himself would be a little more disruptive than he has been. Yeah, I, I don't think you've seen a lot of disruption from the defensive line outside yeah. of that first game. Right. Yeah. So that, that would be an area for improvement. Well, one of the position groups I think that has really stood out that maybe you weren't expecting to is the linebacking group. I think with, mm-hmm. with Dax, he is the fourth highest grader on the defense. And then you look at uh, – at Alan Tisdale, he's a little bit further down, but his tackling grade is the best on the team. Yeah, uh, Dax has had a good year. Um, he just looks more comfortable, uh, does look stronger. And he is a smidge away from being the second highest grading uh, yeah, he really is. player on DB. Yeah. He's a 72.9, and Pollard is second with a 73.1. Yeah. So. Honestly, I mean, that the top five could interchange from a game-to-game basis, yeah. really. Uh, Dak has been good in coverage, which I think most people would have been concerned about. Now, they protect him some on those third down Third and long. That's by, true. They by, don't put him by, in compromise. I'm bringing his nickel, but yeah. look, he's still been on on the field for 87 coverage snaps this year. So it's not like 
That's a big enough sample size. Yeah, those, those are probably yeah. It's, it's a big sample size, and those those are probably first downs and short and short yeah, yarded like, second downs yeah, that ex- sort of thing. Exactly. Third he long, the, he's out. He has the second highest coverage grade on the team, only behind Jermaine Waller, That's which fun. I don't think anybody would have expected <laughs> coming into the season. Yeah. Put Dax at corner. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, so I'm good with him. I, I'm a little bit disappointed. Like uh, I thought the the weight loss, or excuse me, the weight loss, the weight gain would help Tisdale. He's been very good at tackling. Uh, his run defensive grade, though, is the one of the lowest on the defense. Um, he'll get he got caught up in in the wrong gap. It looked like on that the WVU run or nah uh, the one last week Richmond early second half when they actually drove the field and got a field goal. Okay, I think he got caught up inside on that. There's another pl- running play from their quarterback who just juked him out of his shoes and just ran right by him for a first down. And Was that the very first play of the game for Richmond? Are you talking about that one? No. Okay. I'm talking about the, the one that their backup had. It was in the second half. It turned out to be a meaningless play. Right. But um, he just juked him out of his shoes and just ran right by him. And yeah. Tisdale's problem there is he just stopped and waited for the quarterback to come to him. He gave the ball carrier initiative. He needs to attack right there, trust his athleticism and things like that. You got to get your proper yeah. leverage and yeah. Um, so it's maybe he might he might be like still like adjusting to a new weight. I mean, I mean the guy's put on eighteen pounds technically, but I swear he wasn't two ten. He looked closer to two hundred than two ten last year. So he's put on a lot of weight since last year, and sometimes it can take you a while to adjust to a new weight. Um, but yeah, on, on the whole, like. Especially when you cl- include the backup linebackers, like when Kashawn Artis has come into the game, he's been good. Um, when Dean Ferguson has come into the game, I think he's done fine, and it was good to see those guys in the game again in the first half this past week. Yeah, yeah, Kashawn Artis, the fifth highest grader on the team mm-hmm. uh, on defense. So, so are we giving grades again? I'd I, give a B to, to the B to linebacker. You give a B? What, what did we get? We, did, we didn't. We give, didn't give the defensive line a grade either. Yeah, so, mm. uh, B. Yeah, that, I, I would yeah. go B for them. Uh, and I would go B for linebackers. B yeah. for linebackers. <laughs> I guess we we know where we're going with this. Don't we? <laughs> <laughs> we we've taken a little too much time here on the first half, so we gotta uh, we gotta go through this secondary. Quick. I think has been possibly the strength of the team so far, especially obviously Jermaine Waller, three picks in three games. Yeah. Well, the, the great thing with Jermaine Waller is, you know, just that he has returned and he's in top form. Mm-hmm. You know now. Uh, his 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 coverage grade. I remember the year that he and uh, Caleb Farley were both healthy. They both had insane coverage grades, like in the mid eighties. That sound right, Chris? Among the best in the country. Oh yeah. Oh, yeah. they were the two best cover corners in the in the ACC. And I think yeah. Farley was number one in the country, and Waller was like number four or five or something like yeah. that. So he's you know he's in the mid seventies this year, but you know it looks good to me. It, it's I was just worried that. It was one of those nagging things that would, would never get better, and I'm not seeing that. He's playing good football. Yeah. Um, he's playing good football. Dorian Strong's playing good football. Chapman had a couple of bad plays against West Virginia that, he, that he'd like to have back, but other than that, he's playing pretty well. The safeties have been kind of hit or miss. Uh, Nasir Peoples played really, really well against North Carolina, but he has not played very well since, to be quite honest with you. Um He's actually one of the lowest graders on D. De- he's the lowest grading starter on defense for Virginia Tech, full-time starter. Um, Interesting. Yeah, uh, and, you, and you haven't seen – and I know he's he's had an injury, but like Keonta Jenkins, after you know starting the first game of the season, 
just like last year, then he kind of disappears. You know, last year he started the first two games of the season and then barely played the rest of the year. And I assume that was because of some kind of COVID issue and maybe he didn't get back in the rhythm and everything like that. Uh, but the same thing's going to happen again this year. Um, I, I'm not entirely comfortable with Tech's safety play. I'm comfortable with their cornerbacks completely. Yeah. I think their job against North Carolina was easier to a, to a certain extent because North of the way North Carolina's offense operates. Um, Sam Howell, like that, they really took away Sam Howell's first read, and he struggled to get to his second read. Um, and it's, it's obvious a lot of times where their first read is going. Um, and Virginia Tech was able to shut it down. And the games since then have been a different style of, of passing offenses, and I don't think they've adapted well to to the to the other styles of offenses that, they, that they've played. I'll put it that way. Um, Obviously, they dominated Richmond. That's that's an FCS team with a with a backup quarterback. Um, I, I because of this, I think I'm worried about the safeties more so than anything at this point. I'm probably, probably going to be minus for the secondary. Um, Although if I broke them down, if, if you break it up, corners and safeties, corner, I would give like the corners an A minus and the safeties a C plus, right. okay. something right. like that. Yep. I think that's fair, and I think overall you would say defense probably in that BB plus range. You're only giving up so. yeah, 15 that's, points. Yeah, that's fair. Yeah. yeah, 15 points a game. I mean, that's that's going to win you, a lot had, of games. You've had two bad quarters of football. Maybe only one bad quarter of football. I mean, the first you fall first, behind 14 nothing. Yeah, yeah. So clearly, for the rest of the season, you, you it's it's not a defense that's good enough to carry the load like an old vintage Bud Foster defense. It's good enough though. Mm-hmm. If if special teams continue to do well. And if the offense picks it up in the second half of the season, you know they're they're three and one at this point, five and three the rest of the way, which isn't great. Gets you an eight and four, yep. which is is a solid season for this team, I think. So that's kind of what we're looking at: is that the defense? That's the way I'd phrase it. The defense is good enough. Well, looking yeah. at overall at the team, uh, well, Spe- all right, special. Teams, I was going to mention special teams. B plus, B plus. B plus the only thing, the kicking only, only thing keeps it from getting an A is the field goals. The field goals. Yeah. Tech's been awesome in, in coverage. They've been awesome in returns, both punt and and kickoff. Um, they're you know winning, doing a great job, winning the field position battle and everything like that. So, I, I would go B plus for special teams. But if they can start making some field goals, that. That could improve to like an A minus or something. That was what I was thinking for special teams. It's been almost flawless, except for missing some short field goals. Yeah, a couple short field so, goals. So yeah. here we are, over the last twenty years, with a few exceptions here and there. The conversation about almost every Virginia Tech football team is, oh, the defense is good enough, special teams is good enough, but what's the offense going to do? So <laughs> right. it's like the conversation never ends, no matter no matter who's coaching, no matter who's playing. It's true, pretty much since. Maybe Logan Thomas left as oh pop. no it goes back even to Ricky before Russell. that oh yeah it goes back yes, to sir. <laughs> I mean it goes back to like our Michael Vick those couple of years kind of broke the conversation and then yeah, it just came right and back it goes back to my days as a student watching those Bill Dooley teams when <laughs> so that good. offense was yeah. whew, but the defense was awesome yeah mm-hmm. so that's that's just the culture of Virginia Tech football is what it seems <laughs> I don't know if it'll ever change it is deeply ingrained yeah. <laughs> Well, we've gone almost 45 minutes on just the football section of today's podcast. But before we head to our break, I want to ask you overall grade for the team through four weeks. You may have dropped yours in the YouTube chat of our last uh, uh, podcast. I? I think you you may have, but I'll let you you come up with a new one if you have one. <laughs> hmm. So, you know, looking at – without getting bogged down in details, looking at the first four games, 
in, in thinking, you know, uh, I, I would give, and again, let's not get bogged down in the details. Let's just look at the record. Three and one to me is a B. Pretty simple. Four and O would have been an A. Three and one's a B. Two and two's a C. And then we don't want to talk about other possibilities. That is exactly what you put in the YouTube okay. comments last yeah. week. So. That, makes, that sounds familiar <laughs> now. Uh, adjusting for level of competition, like Carolina's not as good as people thought they were going to yes. be. Right. West Virginia's better than people thought they were going to be. I mean, that is a, a, an elite defense for sure. Um, how much I mean, special teams is one-third of the game technically, but there are fewer special teams plays yes. in the game than not. So, but at the same time, one special teams play can have the biggest impact on the game, yes. as we saw this past weekend. Um, but that doesn't necessarily mean that's going to be there every week on special teams. It's kind of random. Um, I'll, I would say, I mean, when I just look at this Virginia Tech football team, and I'm not necessarily taking an average of all the other grades because, I mean, I think I think I gave the tight ends a C and the offensive line a D plus. Well, guess what? Which is more important? The offensive line grade right. is yeah. more important, right? Um, I think this – and this is the same for most every other ACC team at this point. I, they just look like a C-plus football team. Yeah, a little bit above that. Uh, yeah, and – if the offense can get better, they can probably improve into the B minus B range and be a good team. And, and that's good I'm enough a, to win the coast. And that's it definitely is. good enough to win. <laughs> Maybe good enough it to might, win the ACC this it year. It might be. <laughs> I mean, we might be sitting here talking about you. So you're talking. You're having conversations with fans in the stands about who's going to replace Justin Fuente, and he might actually be the head coach of a of is the Orange Bowl playoff team a playoff. I don't, I don't know. know. Yeah, I don't know. No, but you know, you know what I'm saying. Yeah, of oh, yeah. a New Year's Six bowl game. Yeah, it's not yeah. in the realm of possibility. <laughs> All right. Well, that's a good conversation. Looking through the first four weeks, I think it it is a pretty well split up schedule. The first four, then a bye, and then you have those three straight home games that can kind of be that next third of the season. So, going to be interesting to see three weeks from now after Notre Dame, Pitt, and Syracuse, kind of how those grades change and how this team is viewed moving into that last month where Tech's pretty much on the road every single week. Before we get into our break, we, as always, we got to head over to our fourth chair. I feel bad we haven't had Katie involved in this conversation at all. But I uh, want to give Katie her, her couple of minutes here, uh, maybe some trivia, some facts, whatever you got. Yeah, we'll make this quick since we need to get to break. But <laughs> continuing on the football train before we shift to basketball because the season's already flying by so quick. Um, Tavion Robinson coming off the first punt return touchdown since Greg Stroman in 2017, making it only the third punt return touchdown of Fuente's era. Looking back on Beamer's era, he was obviously known for special teams, so just kind of wanted to compare the two. But it took Fuente six years to record three punt return touchdowns in his career. How long did it take Beamer? Punt returns. Wow. To get to three. Man, you know, I don't even remember. I don't remember six any years. from those first six years. Ah, <laughs> uh, let's see. You're on the right track then. <laughs> it's longer than you think. Yeah, and, and I – you know, probably the first one I remember is Antonio Freeman against Pitt in 1994. You'd be correct. Wow. wow. There you go. One out. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I was, was, was going to say like 11 or 12 years because I remember the Brian Still one in the Sugar Bowl. Right. So you had Freeman in, in 94, Still in 95, and something rings a bell like at Pitt in 96, like, but they those may have been kickoff returns. My answer is Eleven years. It's thirteen years. Thirteen. Oh my 13. God. So, did you mention the Texas game? Yeah, was, yeah, we did. In, okay. the, in the in the Sugar Bowl. 
So you had Pitt game. So now I'm forgetting the third so one. So Freeman against Pitt in 94, still against Texas in 95. And then what was the next one? I'm forgetting the third one. I got this from an article that you wrote, actually. Oh, like come early on. <laughs> 2000, I want to say, that you mentioned it took Beamer three years to get three punt return touchdowns. Wow. So I guess Fuente is doing pretty good for himself in that in that aspect only took him six years so but is it, as the old saying goes is that inclusive like is it 87 through 99 which is 13 seasons or is it 87 through 2000 do you remember i want to say through if, 2000 if i wrote the article in 2000 andre davis then had three or no he had four in one year wow. well uh ricky hall returned one against miami in 99 Right, so, so that, that might been, actually so that be, the third be the third one. Wow! Unless like Angelo Harrison returned one in '98 that I don't remember. Yeah, well, there, there's a '96 pit game that there's some something going on there that I can't quite pull out of my memory. So the YouTube chat needs to fill in. But not that there's well, there's some guys that will remember that in the YouTube chat. <sighs> wow! So it took him 13 years to get three, and then it blew up. Yeah. Yeah. So I was, next question I was going to ask was how many total punt return touchdowns in the Beamer era as a collective? Wow. <laughs> well, you just said Davis. Andre Davis had four. Right. And D'Angelo then you had the three Hall had four. three or four. He had two in like the first half, first yeah. quarter against Syracuse. I want to say D'Angelo has the record for most punt return touchdowns like maybe in a five. season yeah, at five. five. Right. And, so that uh, narrows it down a little bit. And – Somebody went through and brain the Beamer the era. Macho Harris may have had some. Did he return punts? I don't remember. There was a long return against Clemson in 2007. Was that was Eddie Royal. So I'm going to say. That was kickoff return by Macho. Okay. Um, I'm going to come in at punt returns or touchdowns. Over 18. 29 seasons. 18. I was going to say 19. Sorry. Y'all are like one off for both of these two questions. It's 20. <laughs> 20. So man. 20 total over 29 wow. years. Yeah, my first guess was going to be 22, and then I'm like, nah, dial it back. Yeah, so let's hope that Tavion Robinson gets more than one this season. I would yeah. think so. He finally hit that one mark. Um, all right, looking ahead to next week, we obviously have a full preview on the Notre Dame game on Wednesday, but I just kind of found it interesting the dominance that Notre Dame has had in the ACC um, for a fan base and a team that so badly does not want to be in this conference, they've done very well for themselves in this conference. Hmm. They're 32-7 and all time since their contract began with the ACC in 2014 and went undefeated in 2019 and 2020 regular season. Since 2017, they're 24-1 and in regular season ACC play. So what is that one loss? Since what year? Since 2017, they have uh, one loss in regular tech. ACC play. Yeah, okay. Who do they lose to in... Well, they beat Clemson last year. They did beat them in the regular, in the regular season. season. Yep. And, and, they, and, the, and they won, they, they won and unbeaten then, last year and the year before in, the, in ACC play. She just said that. 20, so it was 2018 or 2017? I mean, the easy thing would be to guess Clemson, that they encountered Clemson somewhere along the way, but I don't think that's the answer. It's not Clemson. Um, is it Atlantic or Coastal team? It's a Coastal team. Coastal. I was going to say Pitt. No. Really? North Carolina. I forgot about this game too. Miami. I watched the highlights. Miami lap. beat yes. Notre Dame. That's what it was. Really? Yes. Yeah. I remember that. Brian Kelly. The the reason that he was so worried about coming to Blacksburg a couple years ago is because they went to Miami and lost. Ah. Uh, yep. Interesting. I remember that. I'm Miami sure Miami waxed lost the floor to... with Notre Dame. They beat them forty-one to eight at Hard Rock in 2017. <laughs> what? 
So this was also the first year of the turnover chain. So this was maybe the last yeah. time that Miami was what Miami should be. I'm sure they lost to Florida Atlantic the next week. Well, I remember that 2017 game that where that Tech played in Miami. I, I remember Miami. Oh, their defense was good that year. They had a talented team. Yeah. yeah. Um, so if history repeats itself, things don't look good for Virginia Tech playing Notre Dame in the regular season next week. But, well, they got to lose at some point. So twenty-four yeah. and one since the beginning of the twenty seventeen season. Twenty-four Man. and one. So did you catch the discussion about uh, the Notre Dame coach slash athletic director? Maybe both of them kind of complaining. Apparently, yeah. every every game they have against an ACC team this year, there's a bye week for the ACC team before they play. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. my goodness! Yeah. I didn't know that. At so all. that's five games, and I think all five ACC teams have a week off. You know? They shouldn't be scared playing us because we don't play well coming off have of not bye recently. weeks. So yes. I might play to their revenge. That shouldn't be an Nick issue. Brown let us know that on Monday. Yeah. Two and five. And then just one more interesting thing. This is only Notre Dame's second trip to Blacksburg ever. Yep. So wow. the first yep. time was 2016, got the win. And then we don't play them again until 2027. Wow. So let's what? soak in this Notre Dame game for a while. So that's why they, they played really? – Tech and Notre Dame played four times in the last six seasons. Something like that. And they that. don't play again until 2027. Well, we can wow. finally get a – Chance to play Louisville, who's actually in our own league. <laughs> I think Tech played them last year because of not, not at home though. I think they finally play them at home in twenty twenty five or twenty twenty six. I don't wow. remember. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you, Katie. Another those were those were good again. The trivia. Yeah. yeah. Tough ones. Fun Tough stuff. ones. All right. We're going to take our break here on episode one hundred ninety five of the Tech Sideline Podcast. When we come back, we'll do a quick little dive into hoops. Talk about the roster, how it's changed since last year's. NCAA tournament team and also look at the schedule which came out last week for the Hokies in ACC play. Stay with us here on episode 195 of the Tech Sideline Podcast. We'll be right back. We welcome you back on episode 195 of the Tech Sideline Podcast brought to you by the Southeast Regional Training Center. We've gone through the first four weeks of Virginia Tech football, evaluating them heading into the bye week, and now we are going to look at Hokies Hoops for the first time this year. Jake Lyman, Will Stewart, Chris Coleman, and Katie Adams on set. Malcolm Stewart behind the scenes today. Let's get right into it. We spent a lot of time on football in the first half, but basketball started practice this week. Mike Young was on Tech Talk Live with former Tech Sideline podcast host Evan Hughes, Evan who made Hughes. his debut uh, hosting Tech Talk Live this week. And he had some interesting things to say. He's, he thinks this team is going to be very, very good this year. An NCAA tournament team last year, obviously some shuffling pieces in and out of the lineup, but this seems like it may be the most talented team the Hokies have had since that run to the Sweet 16 back in 2018. Yeah. I, I Talented in a different way. Certainly. Yes. Um, I, I, it's a Everybody on this team now was recruited to Virginia Tech by Mike Young, so they're all conceiv conceivably fit for yes. the Virginia Tech offense, right? Um, so I'm excited about it from that standpoint. Um, I think they've got good depth at point guard. They've got three guys that could play it. they got Storm Murphy, they got Hunter Couture, and uh, Sean Padua. Sean Padua. Um, that's three guys, and I'll be interested to see whether – Couture actually is the backup point guard. Or, or if they, they use, go straight or, to Padula. Right, yes. and use Couture on the wing. My, my guess is we'll see Couture at both spots this year. Um, I think they've got, you know, obviously multiple players who can play center with Keve Aluma, John Ojiako, Lynn Kidd. Uh, how, how ready he is, I don't know. We'll see. They've got multiple players that can play the four spot. You could put Aluma at four and play Ojiako at center against certain matchups. 
Or you could just, you know, keep Aluma at center and play Justin Mutz at four. And then obviously you've got Gasson who can play four. So you've got multiple options at three of the five positions where I'm really worried about those, those two wing positions. It's been gutted the by The two loss. and the three. Uh, you know, losing Bamasil, losing Jalen Cohn, losing Tyrese Radford at, the, at those positions. So basically you've got Naheem Aleen starting. Um Oh my gosh! I wish this roster was sorted differently. <laughs> <laughs> so they're going to start start Storm Murphy and yep. Naheem Ali. Right. You would uh, think Hunter Couture probably starts on the other wing. You would think so. Yeah. And then Aluma, Aluma. Aluma and Mutz down low. Right. Yeah. Right. I think and that's what he said on Tech Talk last. Yeah, I think that that's probably right. Um, now the question to me is like, so when Storm Murphy has to come off the court, is Couture slide over to 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 the one spot, and if if so, who comes into the game? Who's your backup wing? Well, Darius Maddox could get yeah, some Matt, more Matt, Matt, Maddox, but he's yeah. really your only option there as far as a pure yes. wing player. Um, he's the only player on the team who is 6'5". Right. Uh, <laughs> yeah. It's not It's not a Buzz Williams team where I, I was looking at it. Where Buzz's, every single player is 6'5". I was looking at Buzz's <laughs> last roster, and I'm sorry I don't have the exact numbers, but <laughs> Buzz had two guys 6'7 or, or taller. He had 6'7". Uh, Transferred to Memphis, Landers Nolly, and he had six ten Kerry Blackshear. Yes, and then he had like six or seven guys between six four and six six. Your center PJ Horn is six five. Your shooting right. guard Nikhil yes. Alexander Walker six five. <laughs> Ahmed Hill six five. Everybody's six five. And then he had three or four guys hovering around six feet or six one. Yeah. You know, and and which is what you have here, but what you don't have here with with Mike Young is you don't have the the six four to six six guys for the most part. He's got now six seven and up, Mike Young has one, two, three, four, five, six. And I'm just counting. I don't know if I just counted a walk nope. on or yep, not in there. Six guys. All scholarship players too. Yeah. Um I thought the biggest takeaway from Tech Talk Live was uh, that um I think he said this there. He may have said it in a uh, uh newspaper interview with Mark Berman or something like that. He I believe he said for the first time in his career he's got guys that can shoot from all five positions. Yes. And by, by shoot, yes. we mean three-pointers. And, and this is where the team will be improved over last year. Yeah, Your normal starting lineup last year was uh, obviously Beattie at point guard and then Tyrese Radford at one, at one of your wing spots. Yeah, So only three of the five positions, and I'm including Mutz and Aluma in there, only three of your five positions among your, among your starters was going to be able to shoot consistently the three-pointer. Yeah. And now you got Storm Murphy in there instead of uh, instead of Beatty, and now Couture moves into the starting lineup instead of Radford, and then you know Mutz and Aluma showed the ability to shoot the ball from the outside last year. So yeah, your five starters can all shoot from the outside, and that that really impacts the way opposing coaches choose to defend you. Now, you know, obviously the the other worry is uh, how many guys besides Naheem Aline can beat anybody off the dribble. Yes. It's got it might it might it might just have to be a ball movement uh, offense. Well, I mean it's Mike you know? Young, it's gonna be. Yeah. But you know, there will be a time when there's four seconds left on the shot clock and somebody's gotta make a play and who's gonna make it. Well and if you do spread it out like that, if everybody can shoot, you spread out the defense, the easiest way to beat that is to drive to the rim. You're right. And so the Hokies are gonna have to find somebody who can do that consistently. Could be Storm Murphy I think what really got 
Hokies fans excited about this team. After last year, it was a good season. You beat Villanova. You go to the NCAA tournament, go to overtime with Florida. But you get Storm Murphy, who is yeah. a huge offensive upgrade at point guard over Wabisa. And we talked yeah. to him. God, I probably talked to him for an hour or two at our TSL event the night before the UNC game. He's a smart guy. Um, obviously knows the offense inside and out because he was recruited to it and played in it. Um, and, I, yeah, I think he's going to add a lot to this team. And he's excited to step up the level of competition that he's going to face night in and night out at Virginia Tech. He's, so. he's a really nice guy, too. He was just, just a really nice guy. <laughs> yeah. You know, there was none of this I'm an athlete air about him at all. And I'm not saying Tech has a lot of guys like that. I don't know. I don't get to meet enough of them one-on-one. -on -one. So a little Storm Murphy trivia. We asked him where the name come from. And he said, I believe he said it's his mother's maiden name, and he was born on a night where there was a storm. Well, that makes a lot of sense. So they just kind of went with that one on the spot, I guess. I think John Laser's going to have some fun with those calls that he can make with Storm Murphy. Yeah. Uh, at least. Uh, I'm sure he's coming up with them already. <laughs> yeah, he's working on it. Well, Storm Murphy coming in at point guard, like I said, I think that energized the fan base a little bit, but kind of took a step back when Tyrese Radford entered the transfer portal, ended yeah. up going to Texas A&M. How much does that hurt this team to lose a guy like that who he was that guy who can penetrate to the rim and just get you points when you need it? That's exactly where you lose him, um, who can get that basket when you need it. And pound for pound, he's the best rebounder in the country. He's got to be. That's at least true. for anybody yeah. smaller. Yes. You know, for At least for any guard out there, he certainly is. I mean, I've run those numbers before. I found a site where you can sort by height all the way back through like 20 years. And there was maybe like one or two other guys over the last 20 years who had – as high a rebound percentage as he did, who were like six two or shorter or, or whatever. Like so, like, like from that aspect, he's a generational type player. Yes, I mean like thousands and thousands and thousands of players over the last twenty years, and he's the best of all of them at that particular thing. So that's what you lose. Yeah. I mean, he is an he's an absolute unicorn for what he does well. Nobody else can do that, and you can't replace it. You have to replace it by three point shooting. Yes, um, which is what you gain by him leaving is now right. you'll have a team full of three-point shooters. But the biggest weakness is, to me, is what if one of those wings gets hurt? What if uh, Hunter Couture, Naheem Aline, or Darius Maddox get hurt? And all of a sudden, I mean, you literally don't have another wing on the bench. I mean, you would, you would have to start playing Padula and Storm Murphy together, which you can do. And I actually I asked Storm this when we, when we talked to him. I said, can you and Padula play together? And he said, yeah, we can, but... Coach Young doesn't like to do that. Well, they're much. both 6'1". Right. You know? Right. Um, I think that's one more. You would if you have to, but yes. not if you don't right. have to. Right. So the other thing you lose when you lose Tyrese Radford is you, you lose your junkyard dog. Mm -hmm. You know, that, that guy that that dunk he had over on, against Wake Forest. <laughs> you know, what, what does that matter? It's just one play in a game. But, you know, it's, it, it gets you hype. It's well, something the fan base can cling to. And, he, and, he and Beatty were the two like toughest players. Yeah. Like physical toughness, strong guy. So if you need a strength play. And great perimeter defenders right, too. Right, right. Yeah. Um so you you by losing both of those guys in this in the same offseason, you do you lose a little bit of that toughness factor. I think not to suggest that any of the other these other guys aren't aren't tough, but those guys I think take it to a took it to a different level. And looking at Tyrese Radford, when I did the Tech Talk Live notes over the past couple of years, listening to Mike Young talk about him, he said, that's the dude that just, he gets the rebound, he runs down the court, and it's like everybody else is moving in slow motion. Yeah. He just runs down, and he, go gets it, he gets his two points off the rebound. So Yeah, he was a coast-to-coast -coast guy, that's true. And you, don't, you look at this roster, it doesn't 
you don't see anybody who this, has that it's ability. It's not going to be a transition basketball no. team. Hmm. Okay. But l- for this team, Keve Aluma seems to be the star player. Hokies are glad to have him back. He did test the waters with the NBA this offseason. And Mike Young talked about him. He said he came back from that process in the best shape of his life. He says he's playing the best basketball of his life. He did not hold back no, in, he did in not. hyping up Keve Aluma the other night. He, the, the other thing that was kind of uh, – <laughs> you need to tighten up there, Chris. <laughs> yeah, it's just start anything that tightens, just start twisting. I got it. <laughs> um, uh, he he said when when Aluma went to whatever the workouts are or whatever they do, uh, Mike Young said it became very apparent in in like the first day or two that he wasn't going to go. So yes. getting getting into that atmosphere and getting to work out with those coaches and those players, he figured out pretty quick that he was going to stay. Um, so that was interesting, and then yeah, you're right. Mike went on to say, he apparently what whatever Aluma saw and experienced inspired him to work even harder and get even better. So that's very cool. Yeah, I think well, you go to that camp and you go up, up against a bunch of guys who are almost NBA ready, right? Yeah. And you realize you got a lot of work to do if yeah. you ever want to be that ready, and you've only got one year left to do it. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it's, it's, it's going to kick you up a notch, uh, I think. So, so that, that's, that's the good thing. I'd actually never thought about that before. No, uh, me not, not, not from that perspective. When a guy, you know, tests the waters and gets to go to those camps and work out for those coaches and against those players and they, they really learn what a step up it, it is. But, but not every player is going to, so let's assume that yes, he, something clicked in him and he's like, i I thought I was doing well, but I need to do even better. <laughs> Not every player is going to respond like that. Some are going to go maybe into a scenario like that and go, oh, I guess my current team's holding me back. I need to transfer right, out. Right, you right, right. You need to go to Kentucky. <laughs> you yeah, know, yeah. Where I'll get better prepared than I am now. <laughs> uh-huh, you know? Right. He looked inward as opposed to blaming outside factors yeah, for that, not that, quite that's being certainly ready. true. Um, Mike Young had a he had a good quote with that too. He's saying that like I can tell people as much as I want, like, hey, you're not ready. You need to come back a year, but you go. He, a few years ago, you go work out for the Lakers, and Magic Johnson tells you that you need to come back, go back to school. Let's go, Carol. You're, you're going to respond to that a little <laughs> bit more. Yeah. Uh, next to Aluma, Justin Mutz. I thought towards the end of the season, he may have been one of the Hokies' best players. He was just very aggressive defense or offensively. He started to hit his threes. I think he also could be in for a big year for Virginia Tech as well. He was making some threes, and now. He is a guy who can also sometimes put it on the floor and attack the basket with the right defensive yes. matchup. If, if he's playing against a team that likes to play a more traditional, bigger lineup, and he might have a six nine or six ten guy guarding him, then you've, you've he's shown the ability to blow right by that guy. Yeah, my, my memory of the few times he did that last year was if if a seam opens up, he's going to take it. Yeah, he's yeah. not necessarily the guy who's going to drive against certain players one on one, but but if you leave him an opening, he's going to take. And it. his athleticism will surprise you. Right. Um, it surprised me. He doesn't look like a great athlete, but when you see him get off the court and throw it on a duck, you're like, where in the world did that come yeah. from? <laughs> um, so, yeah, he's, seen, he's a very well-rounded player, well-traveled player. Yes. He's, well, he's a well-rounded person. He's an interesting yeah, guy. Yeah, he is an interesting He's guy. got two degrees now, too. I, I want to say he finished graduate school for or at least one degree last year as well so he yeah. and he's only been in school three or four years now so 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 when we had that event last summer and, I, and i've actually talked about this on the podcast um i say last summer like it was a long time ago it wasn't <laughs> and, and we were trying to figure out which uh basketball player to invite and I, I really wanted to invite mutts you know because 
I've seen some interesting interviews with him. I'm like, I'd like to meet that dude, but wound up going with Storm by a narrow margin. Being on the press conferences last year, he was probably the most fun guy to talk to. Yeah. Like, like Kevin Aluma, you talk to him, he's going to give you that one sentence answer. Justin right. Mutz, he he always had some entertaining answers. Uh, he I listened to him on Tech Talk Live when he was on there. Yeah. And he he has deep thoughts about a lot of things. <laughs> yeah. And Bama still was really interesting. It's kind of a like, he, yes. I wish he still played. He is a really interesting guy. Right. What a shame that like this happened with Tyrese Radford and then. Jalen Cohn transferred like after Bamasil because Bamasil transferred to play more because he's at the point of his his development where he needs to play more to get yeah. better. He can't just practice and, and he get missed better. his whole senior year of high school right, too. Right, exactly. So if now he, he would have gotten a chance to play more if he had known how things were going to play out. Would he have stayed? Yeah, exactly. I think possibly the most interesting group of players on this roster is that group of, I, I guess they're listed as juniors on here, but they could be COVID sophomores, Kator, <laughs> Aline, Ojiako. I think Kator and Aline, it was like you saw flashes, like like Naheem Aline in the NCAA tournament last year. Oh, yeah. Unbelievable. Hit the shot to send it to overtime. Hunter Kator had games like that as well. John Ojiako, he, he was injured before the season yeah. and never really settled in, but those three guys developing and turning into consistent contributors for Tech, I think, could be the make-or-break point of the season. Well, I think it's now or never for Ojiako to be yeah. dramatic about it. Right, and hopefully he got a full off-season of development, a healthy off-season this year, because yeah. not only did COVID slow everybody down last year, but then he was hurt too, so he was late coming back. I don't think he started practice until, what, like December Something yeah. like that. I don't think he played in his first game until January. Maybe. Yes. And um, he, he barely got any minutes even when he did get right. into the game. Ex exactly. So, you know, he's a guy who could potentially replace a few of those Radford rebounds. Because, um, you know, somebody's going to have to replace him. And it's going to be by committee, of course. But he can help there. Um, you know, he just needs he just needs time and development and coaching. And, and, you know, because of his injury last year, you know, he couldn't get those things. So... I do think he has talent. I, I thought I thought he started to show flashes towards the end of his freshman year. So hopefully things go in the right direction there this season. Yeah. And, but you know we've also got Lynn Kidd here. Yes. Who I, the the people we know who have who are like scouts and AAU people said Lynn Kidd is a very advanced offensive player for someone his age, but just way behind defensively. 6'10", 240, for those right. of you who are not familiar with the measurables. Yeah, so depending on how much progression he has made on the defensive side of the ball will depend on how much he plays. He, he gets Jalen Cohn's number, number 15. Well, I think that could be important. Kid and Ojiako, they're those big 6'10", 240-pound guys. Just getting maybe one of them to be able to be in that rotation and, and give good minutes to the Hokies could be huge to have that guy in the paint. I think when I saw John Ojiako step onto the court for the first time last season, I was shocked to see how different he looked. I mean, yeah. a year in the weight room did a lot for John Ojiako. It's just getting on the court and getting those minutes. Yeah, now it's about just playing basketball, man. He's got to play. Well, the schedule was released. We've known a lot of the non-conference games for the last couple of months, but the ACC schedule was released last week. Before we get into that, I do want to talk about some of the notable non-conference games and the first one you have to talk about obviously is in that nit preseason landers nolly 
makes his reunion with the Virginia Tech Hokies on November 24th when the Hokies face off with the Memphis Tigers. That one is going to be a pretty good measuring stick for Virginia Tech as Memphis is expected to be top 5, 10 team in the country. Yeah, they just added those two five-star kids right before school started. <laughs> I think I think that's going to be a matchup of a tremendously talented athletic team versus a tremendously well-coached team. Yes. Yeah. Those are yeah. two totally – Memphis, different types Memphis of teams. recruits really well up there. You know? <laughs> Air quotes. <laughs> yeah, no. yeah. But they always do. Well, that's the that's been the issue with Penny Hardaway since he took that job is he's recruited all these five-star kids, yeah. but they just haven't put the product on the court so far. They did win the NIT last year. Yes. But the, these days the NIT is not something people – I know Tech fans look back fondly on a couple of NIT championships, but these days it, it, it's just not something that is considered a – an accomplishment. You don't so celebrate it as you much. Don't, right, right. So, well, it does mean you played well for four games in a row, well enough. And maybe it gives you a little momentum heading into next season. Right, and then, but you don't even know if like the other teams you're playing even care about playing in the NIT. Sometimes yeah. they do, sometimes they don't, right? Um, I think the closer they get to uh, New York, assuming they still do the thing where the Final Four gets to go to yeah. New York, I think the closer they get to New York, the more they care. But first yeah. couple rounds, yeah, who knows? But yeah, I mean, the whole schedule this year, not only is it 20 games of, you know, ACC hell, but the non-conference schedule is – it's like you take the Seth Greenberg non-conference schedule and you completely flip it, and that's what you've got this year. Yeah. Like you remember all those years Tech didn't make it because their RPI stunk and their strength of schedule stunk. And that would not be the case this year if RPI was still used no. in part of the formula. That is the most difficult non-conference schedule that I can ever remember in Virginia Tech basketball. It's It's – I'm actually a little scared by it. Like, I, like I'm actually afraid. Like, God, if if we lose one of these key players and playing this many good teams, we might not win enough games to make the NCAA tournament. So to run down it for the fans, it's Maine at home, at Navy, Radford at home, St. Francis, PA at home, Merrimack at home, then Memphis in the NIT tip-off, and then the winner of Xavier or Iowa State. At Maryland for the Big Ten ACC Challenge, Cornell at home at Dayton. At Dayton, and a then versus Saint, versus Saint Bonaventure in the Hall of Fame shootout. And Saint Bonaventure is, you know, arguably the best team in the A10. Yeah, yeah. and and that's a that, I mean, you see Power Five conference teams lose non-conference games like that every year. Yes, every good ones. Yeah. Good Power Five. I mean, NCAA tournament teams lose games like that yeah. to to those uh, to the mid major teams every year in the month of November and December. And there's just there's just so many challenges there on that non conference schedule. But the thing is, man, you win 20 games, and your computer numbers are going to be awesome. And you and Virginia Tech will not be an eight or nine seed this year, as we've seen so many times yes. in the past. If they win 20 games playing this schedule, what was Tech seeded last year? Eight nine or, seed, nine, nine. Just okay. you know, just like most years in the history of Tech basketball. Yeah. So. Yeah. Um, well, I mean, you look at that schedule: Memphis, either Xavier or Iowa State. You've got Dayton, Maryland, and then St. Bonaventure. Those five games are high-level opponents that mm -hmm. Tech's going to play, but that will prepare you well for the ACC sc it schedule should. as well. It just definitely should. Because uh, there, there, there are teams in the ACC that aren't going to be as good as some of those teams that Tech's going to play non-conference. It's just good because if, if you think about back when they played 16 conference games, and they were playing 13 to 15 out-of-conference games, and a lot of those just stunk. They were – Seven or eight games at home against teams between 250 and 350, the RPI. Yeah. 
And you get to where if you open up with a bunch of those lousy games at home, the players get – it's almost like in football when they get to the fall and, and they've had enough of hitting each other and they need to go hit somebody else. Yeah. In basketball, we've had enough of beating up on Maryland Eastern Shore. I'm sorry, Ace. <laughs> I know you spent some time there. We, we've been beating up on Maryland Eastern Shore. Let's let's. But this kind of – you don't exactly hit the ground running, but you don't have to wait long before you're playing some good games. Yeah, yeah. And, and you get a very early game at Navy. Yeah. You know, Navy's not an elute program or anything like then that, you but got, it is a road game. Then you got three at home, and then you got the NIT thing, so – there's a little bit of a ramp up period there to there get is. you to that Memphis game. There, there's there are some kind of gimmies early, but then as soon as you get past them, all those oh. non conference <laughs> games are hard. And One, as soon as you end them, it's oh by the way they are starting ACC play right in December. Yes. Right. So I believe yeah, first that, ACC game is at home against Wake. Wake Forest on December fourth. So so the we're just sitting here talking about the non conference schedule, but the honest truth is the non conference and conference schedules they they stagger each other. Yes, dude. Let me jump in here and say that when this schedule got released, this this is incredible at Duke and at North Carolina during Christmas break, and they instead yes. of scheduling them in Castle, and yes. they're staggered. Yeah, like like Christmas is is in between. In both between, of those games. so they're yes. a week apart. It's it's phenomenal. Tech plays UVA, Duke, and UNC over winter break. Uh, so right, so I'm sitting here thinking, oh, what bowl game? At, I, I'm, yes, so, I'm at, sitting here yes. thinking, I'm an, honestly, I'm dreading it because there's gonna be a bowl game right around then, and I'm trying to prepare for a bowl game, trying to prepare for Duke basketball, UNC basketball. Hmm, so Chris there's gonna be Chris be and David game. are gonna have a little bit of a, a the, long week that week. Th- there's gonna be no Christmas. This year, that's what it's going to be. Well, speaking of a long week, it's going to be a fun one for Tech basketball fans between February 12th and February 19th. Syracuse, UNC, UVA, all within a week in Castle Coliseum. I don't think I've ever seen a slate of home games that close together that good. Uh, I mean, it's going to be a fun week if Tech can maybe take down a few of those teams as well. Wow. Yeah. And uh, which one is Big Monday? Uh, That would be UNC. Okay. Yeah, nice. so uh, Saturday – actually, what I've got here, are you looking – I'm looking – I wrote this down. So okay. it's... I'm looking at our schedule, which I copied from Hokiesports.com, but I copied this a couple of weeks ago. I've got Syracuse on Saturday, February yep. 12th, Virginia on oh, okay, Monday, February right. 14th. Yeah. Okay, okay. That's the, so that's, you get Syracuse – Oh, right. that's Valentine's Day, Big Monday, Valentine's Day. Okay. UVA. Yes, you're right. Yeah. I so did that's UVA. That. Yeah. UVA is Big Monday on Valentine's Day. And then Carolina the following Saturday. The, so you got to play Syracuse and immediately turn around the, and play this Virginia. This probably won't happen because winning three games in a row against against really high-level competition is very difficult to do. But can you imagine if Tech beat Syracuse, UVA, and North Carolina all in the same week <laughs> in basketball? My, my, head, my head would explode over that, man. But, well, you know, there, there are certain teams you just enjoy beating. And I'm not even talking about UVA in that group. I enjoy beating Syracuse more than any of them, to be honest with you, because of all those years in the Big East. You know, history lesson, when Tech was in the Big East for basketball in four years, Syracuse never once played in Castle Coliseum in those four years because Jim Beheim told the Big East, I'm not playing there. Yeah. Right? And they said, yes, sir, Mr. Beheim, whatever you want. So now he has to play in Castle Coliseum, you know? And when he does, he generally loses. So wait a minute. He's so so. Bring me up to speed. He's still coaching him, and Buddy is still there. Yep. Man, Buddy, Buddy's and a problem. Buddy's man. brother is there as well. Hope his brother's yes. not as good as he is. <laughs> Let's hope not. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, so I'm uh, sorry I threw us off track, but uh, but I, I I I love this schedule. The uh, the ACC really did tech some props. That was 
I'm I'm excited that we hired David Cunningham because I can actually go to basketball games as a fan. <laughs> you know, the Buzz Williams era is what I always wanted as a basketball fan. And I spent that entire era, era covering Covered, it like an yeah. idiot, you know, and I could never go to a game as a fan and actually enjoy it. Well, Bill Roth so, didn't have his programs pulled that, up. That's yet. right. Yes, but, uh, that's yeah, true. so um, I'm actually going to go to games as a fan this year. It's going to be great. All well, right. It's a the good a- schedule to do it against too, man. It's true. The ACC did schedule – they, they helped out with tech schedule three home ACC games over winter break. I, I think I'm going to go to Charlotte for St. Bonaventure because why not? There you go. You know, it's, it's just a good, it's just a good overall schedule. Yeah. If I really wanted to go to Annapolis for the Navy game, I guess I could. Or um, College Park for yeah. Maryland. Uh, I've been to College Park. <laughs> don't ever want to go back. <laughs> Katie's over there shaking her head now. <laughs> All right. Well, that was a little dive into Hokies Hoops in 2021. We're going to do probably a bigger preview later on when we get closer to basketball season, just about 50 days out from tip-off. Yeah, of the, the year. The first game is November, November 9th, 9th, so we're pretty far away. So we still got some time, but you know, by week we figured we'd jump into Hokies Hoops since they practiced, uh, excuse me, started practice this week. And the first media opportunities with them will be on Monday, and Dave will yes. be there covering that. So we'll have some content for that on Tech Sideline as well. Now I think it's a good time to head over and check on some YouTube questions, so I'll send it over to Katie. What have we got in the chat today? Sticking with the basketball discussion before moving back to football, Justin Thomas asks, have we done a good job filling our roster holes with the talent needed to take that next step, that next step being ACC title contenders in Sweet 16 appearances, or is recruiting more recruiting needed? Uh, I like the experience level of this team, and I think they're all system fits. And I think that's the best way for Virginia Tech to build a program over time. Um I, I don't think I don't think Buzz how Buzz one could be sustained at, at Virginia Tech. I, I think if you ever want to get to that level, you need to build it like UVA built it. Quite honestly, like UVA gave up on trying to recruit against Duke and UNC. Yeah, yeah, and, and they went about it in a different way. Uh, and so I, I I like this way that that Virginia Tech is going about it. Um, I wish they would could would have could have added a wing from the transfer portal to add, to get some more depth there. Uh, yet at the same time. Most dudes are in the transfer portal because they want to start. And, like, there's probably just not that many starting. starting level. Like, like, you'd have to come in and beat out Nahim Aline and Hunter Couture to start, right? Um, so it's it's difficult to build a complete basketball roster these days. But if this team stays healthy, I, I mean, I like the guys they're going to put on the court. So kind of going back to the, the UVA model, you know, what, what eventually – they had some good players early on, mm-hmm. uh, but what eventually really made that program take off, and in my mind, I don't follow them all that closely, they had a couple transformational players. I mean, Ty Jerome and Kyle Guy were really good players. Are they both in the NBA? Um, Jerome is. For Kyle sure. Guy is with the Kings. I don't know where Ty Jerome is anymore. Yeah, uh, and I the think thing, last I saw him. And the a, thing is, like, and they were, like, Kyle Guy was a McDonald's All-American. Yeah. But UVA had to win for with their system, with system players, and for – Four or five years before they started signing guys like that. Yeah, and that's where Tech is. They've they've got some good players. Mm-hmm. I don't know that they have an NBA player on this team. Um, you know, depending upon probably what happens not. with, yeah. with probably the not. I think Bamisil was probably the closest thing. Yeah, the NBA highest player. ceiling. Yes. Yeah. And and they're, you know, I mean, I know I know you follow this closer than I do. They're they're bumping their head against the ceiling with some recruits. They're in on some really good recruits. Right, they were in, not they, quite getting. They were in on Tyler Nickel and he was all set to come to Virginia Tech. His high school coaches and AU coaches all thought he was coming to Virginia Tech. But he grew up a UNC fan and they literally offered him at the last second yeah. after 
not, you know, and, and that's that's just what happens when you re, when you recruit at a certain level. The, the ideal recruits for Virginia Tech is recruit the highest ranked players that UNC and Duke don't want. Because you're not going to be able to get anybody that they want. You almost have to root for UNC and Duke to get their highest targets. Way up there. Right, yeah. so, they don't, so they don't They don't take the middle yours. one. Right. Yes. Yeah. Right. And and even then, like as good as Jerome and Guy were, they, they stayed three and four years. I can't. I think one of them left early. Well, they stayed three. Yeah. They stayed three, and then you brought in guys like Mamadi Diakite and DeAndre Hunter, who right. are NBA players. Right, right. And right. so, so they they had they when they won the national title, they had a lot of NBA talent on that team. But it took them a long time to build to that point. I mean, yeah. Tony Bennett wasn't in there signing NBA guys in his first and second year at UVA. They had right. to they had to show that they could win over time. So. Virginia Tech make the NCAA tournament again this year, and then make it again next year, and and then you can tell recruits we've made the NCAA tournament seven out of the last eight years or something like whatever it'll be. You yeah, can come here and play yeah. on the big stage, exactly. not just during the year, but at the end of the yeah. season. Well, and you could even say seven straight because that's technically it didn't count. didn't count, right? So, so good question. Jumping back to football, Scott Glessner asks if if Virginia Tech gets to their last couple of games and the Coastal is still in play. What would Fuente do if Braxton Burmeister gets dinged up? Does he try Bullock since he can still redshirt him, or does he stick with Kadem? Wow. I mean, I, the thing is, the, a guy like Bullock. I mean, he's he wouldn't be getting any reps right now. He's going to come and go in and go in, through in the, practice. Going to go going to go through the first fifteen minutes of regular practices with the quarterbacks, but then he's going to go over to the practice squad and run the other team's offense. Yeah. So unless Fuente is coaching the practice squad right now, which sometimes he does because he feels like it gives the team a spark when he goes in and coaches a practice squad, then, like, uh, it's it's really going to be – it would be hard for them to judge the development of, of of Bullock when he's with the practice squad every day, right? Um, now, they'll get a, they're getting a good look at him right now because they're giving him more time to backups in the bye week. Right. Um, I, I'll answer the question. No, He'd go with Kadem. Uh, yes, he would. And, yeah. no, and, and I don't think – you don't have to worry about the red shirt because if it's just for the last couple of games, I mean, you get there's a four game red shirt. Yeah, that, and that's anyway. how the question is phrased. If you're down inside that last four games, right, and the coastal's in play, if the coastal's not in play, if the coastal's not in play, <laughs> I think you go Bullock. Maybe I would at that point. Uh, well, it, well, remember you got a guy who's well, you, well, you got a, you got a guy who. At that point, if your quarterback is trying to keep his job, is right, that how we right. should I phrase mean, it? Yeah, does does that factor into his thinking and everything yeah. like that? I don't know. I think uh, either I, way they turtle up with either one of those. Oh guys no, no question. Is, do you mean, no question? Do you think maybe if it was Kadem, you would kind of have a Kadem Blumrick duo that I, I, would kind you, of interchange? Where Blumrick just runs the ball all the time, uh, maybe. Uh, I, I think I've seen him throw in practice, and I think he can throw. I just. You Clear, said he can throw, but can he pass? Right. I mean, if he couldn't stick a quarterback at A&M and now he's third string at Virginia Tech behind a guy who doesn't have a strong arm, then he's he's probably just can't pass. He can throw, but he can't pass, right? I think it would be it would be more of a situation where you're not going to have him run a passing offense, but if you want to run a play where maybe he does a pot pass or something like that. like Well, dude, not, not 90% of college football teams right now in this era are just hanging on by a thread. Because you can't get through the first month of the of season, and your quarterbacks are quitting, like quitting the team in the yeah. middle of the season, so they can go, so they can sit out there, they take their year and sit out and Red go play somewhere else the next year. Somewhere else. So, like, how many teams actually, if they face that situation where their starting quarterback gets hurt, are going to be able to be prepared to 
I mean, I don't think to that do many. Much of anything. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I mean, even look at Clemson, man. Their five-star starting quarterback can't even play. <clears throat> so, what, how bad do you think their backup is? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, to answer the question, I say Kadem. That's who they. I, I would agree with that. All right, let's do one more. If you've got one, Kate. Yeah, one more. Jeff Beaver asks, "What do you think the odds are that Virginia Tech ekes, ekes out a close win against Notre Dame to go four and one, and then loses four out of the next seven games to end up seven and five? Oh man, I don't have uh, the very, schedule right in front of me. Very I specific can, question. I can see that happening. I, I mean, I, yeah, you could see that happening. I think I'm, I'm on record as saying that eight games in a row. I think they're going to start to wear down towards the end, and they got to go on the road. Yeah. So I can absolutely see a, a win over Notre Dame, and then that the rest of the way. I mean, all those road games at the end of the season. Georgia, and, it's and I don't remember the order. Georgia Tech, Georgia Tech BC, Duke at home, home Duke. Miami, UVA. Miami. You know, yeah, that's that's. I mean, that's that's a lot of travel in tough. a very short span. This is all oh, boom, boom, it's boom, just boom, a strange, boom. strange schedule. Um, yeah, it's possible. I mean, I, I still think for most teams this year, particularly in the ACC. It's going to come down to individual matchups. You're just going to match up better against certain teams than others. Uh, there's going to be the random, random, randomness of turnovers and things like that. It's matchups and turnovers that are going to decide games for the most part. Um, so I, I haven't studied any of those teams later in the season. Like I, earlier this season, I would have said, yeah, Tech will smoke Syracuse, but they've played better recently, so maybe not now. Who knows? I still think Tech will win. Um, Pitt? Uh, which pit team are we talking about? Well, the one in Lane Stadium is hard, is easier to beat than the than the one up there. And, and and which is the pit team that beat Tennessee or lost to Western Michigan going to show up? You know, so we have all these questions about our own team, and every other fan base has just as many questions about their own team. So yes, I think that's possible. But like, I also think what what Katie, what was the record? Twenty seven and one for Notre Dame in the last twenty twenty four twenty four and one. Yes. Yeah. I was going back and forth on who to pick, but I think that stat just made my decision for me. I don't know. I think it's all on Justin. We'll get into this. It's all on Justin Hamilton, man. They Notre Dame, and you saw me tweet this out, Notre Dame is number 128 out of 130 teams in giving up sacks and giving up tackles for loss. So if you pick your spots and you make the right defensive plays at the right time and play better on offense, you got, you got a good chance. Oh, it's going to be an ugly game, I expect. Meh. Like, like if you're going for that game, like kind of like the Richmond game. Yeah, was. like like it's one of those games. If you were a neutral fan, you'd probably just be like, you know what, I'm not even gonna go because nobody's gonna score. But it's gonna be a good tailgate atmosphere and Inner Sandman night will be great. And it's and sold out, by the way. That it is. came out so today. I actually think that might be one of those games. Win or lose, you you're gonna you are gonna if you're a tailgating type, you might have more fun in the build up to the game all the way through Inner Sandman, and then the game's going to start, and you're like, oh, my God, this is ugly. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and I'm not saying that because, like, I think Tech is definitely going to lose or anything. I'm saying it because it, like, might be, like, 17-13. It could whoever. be a rock fight. Yes. 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 Yeah. Well, we're going to have a full Notre Dame preview next week on the podcast. We'll go into all that, see – First, if they can beat Cincinnati this weekend, yeah, top 10 matchup. Um, do you know where that game is? I, I think believe, it's at Notre Dame. I believe it is at Notre Dame. Yeah. And by the way, one comment about the sellout. I think that's a true sellout. I don't, I don't think that's a StubHub sellout. Uh, yeah, you know, Notre Dame is actually they – they're creating special flights from South Bend to Blacksburg for this game. Wow. So one of our users, I think it's Colorado Hokie maybe, he's flying from – I don't know. I guess he lives in Colorado. That would make sense. But he's flying from the West to Blacksburg for the Notre Dame game. And his connecting flight is through South Bend. 
So he's going to land in South Bend with all his tech gear and get on, get, on a, get on a plane with a bunch yeah. of Notre Dame fans, and he's going to be the only guy in there with tech gear. I, I, honestly, I think a whole bunch of them want to come and, and experience the Lane Stadium well, atmosphere. When, when I went That's to uh, – when I was in South Bend a couple of years ago, I was sitting at the bar after the game, and this dude was like, oh, man, I came to Lane Stadium last year. That inner Sandman was everything that it was hyped up to be. So we've got uh, one of the – videos on tech sideline youtube is the inner sandman from from that that 2018 mm-hmm. home game against yes. notre dame and it's pushing two million views and so i get the emails from youtube when people comment on it and it's got hundreds of comments i don't i don't haven't looked at it in a while and i don't get every email that would drive me insane i think a lot of them get caught up in spam but i get i get i still get emails several times a week from people commenting on that and a lot of them are notre dame fans saying i came there and it was awesome or i'm coming there this year i can't wait to see this that's a thing it is a draw to get i mean you don't want opposing fans coming to blacksburg for games but at the very least they usually leave with good things to say about it it depends on the fan base notre dame fans are great i think unc fans fans did not have nice things to say about nice things to say they're they're not used to loud noises at football (laughs) it it makes them want to throw punches Uh, all right. Well, I didn't think we'd go almost two hours oh my uh, on a bye week podcast, but we did. We had a lot to talk about today with football and hoops and, and everything. So we went almost an hour and 45 minutes. So. Anytime you start doing something position boot group by position group, it just drags it's going to take a while. It so does. That's a lesson for you as podcast. Yes. Uh, halfway through, I was telling Katie, I was like, we should have done offense today and defense on Monday right. and split it up. But that's yeah. a good point. Well, that will do it for episode 195 of the Tech Sideline Podcast. Before we get out of here, it's a bye week. What are you guys up to this weekend? Any fun plans? So I was trying to – I actually asked on our football board today, you know, I've got the ACC schedule. UVA and Miami play Thursday night, which is very cool. Yes. And then there's Pitt and Georgia Tech, I think, play at noon. So anyway, I'm looking at the ACC schedule, seeing some games I want to watch, and I was like, what else are you going to watch? So – this is all me in my own head. My wife has not had any input yet. So uh, to answer your question, I don't really know. I don't know. I'm thinking about going out of town. There you go. Yeah. Yeah. Take advantage of the bye week. Yeah. I'm sure we'll have a lot to talk about with the games over the weekend on Monday on the podcast. And it's no game to recap from Saturday. So we'll, we'll dive into some ACC football, see who wins that Miami-UVA game because that one – important for virginia tech uh i i somebody asked who should you root for and i said well uva has already got two acc losses root for uva to saddle miami with their first acc loss i have a feeling that was not met very well on the boards i'm gonna <laughs> well, log I mean, on and find <laughs> out it is the correct non-emotional decision it is <laughs> but the, i doubt many are actually decision. going to be able to do that <laughs> All right, well, that does it for episode 195 of the Tech Sideline Podcast. We went through the first four weeks of Tech's football season and also took a little look at Hokies hoops coming up in just over a month on November 9th when the Hokies open their season. I want to thank everybody on set today. Will Stewart, our founder and general manager. He is at Will Stewart TSL on Twitter. Chris Coleman, our lead analyst and columnist at Chris Coleman TSL on Twitter. Katie Adams in the fourth chair did a great job once again with trivia and the YouTube questions. You can find her at Katie6Adams on Twitter. Malcolm Stewart always does a great job behind the scenes. And I'm Jake Lyman. That'll do it for episode 195 of the Tech Sideline podcast. Have a great weekend, Hokies fans, and we'll see you next time.